there was an annual gathering of the children of Israel to celebrate the feast of the Passover. It also coincided with another feast, the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And as we were partaking just a few moments ago of the bread and the fruit of the vine, that was for us a memorial feast, there's a certain somberness to it, a seriousness to what we are doing, because we're commemorating a very important event in the history of God's people. For the Jewish people, looking back to the Passover and to their exodus out of the Egyptian bondage and eating that unleavened bread, there was a certain somberness because there was the recognition of the death of the firstborn. This occasion when our Lord is assembled in the upper room with the disciples there is a certain amount of sadness and grief because the Lord will soon die. In fact, it's not going to be but just a few hours in which the Lord will enter into the Garden of Gethsemane and be betrayed by Judas Iscariot. In fact, as we studied last Sunday from John chapter 13, the Lord announced the event of his betrayal and that Judas was going to betray him. But not only that, all were going to desert him that night. And the Lord was sad. The disciples were sad. If you'll open your Bibles with me now to John 13, I want to look at verses 33 and following as we set the stage for our study of John 14. John 13, 33. Little children, I shall be with you a little while longer. You will seek me. And as I said to the Jews, where I am going, you cannot come. So now I say to you, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you shall follow me afterward." Peter said to him, Lord, why can we not follow you now? I will lay down my life for your sake. Jesus answered him, will you lay down your life for my sake? Most assuredly, I say to you, the rooster shall not crow till you have denied me three times. Folks, those are some sad words. Jesus' departure was drawing near. And as you remember, he says, as I said to the Jews, where I am going, you cannot come. And he says, so now I'm saying to you, Jesus is going to go somewhere and they're not going to follow, at least not now. The Jews thought perhaps he was going to go among the dispersion, perhaps among the Gentiles. Where do the disciples think he's going? 
Maybe in their mind the Lord is going to go somewhere and be alone, be apart, be by himself. He did that frequently. Where is the Lord going? We don't know where you're going. We need more information. We need you to tell us what was going to take place. And the Lord is saying, you've got to learn to love one another just like I've loved you. Do you remember John 13, verse 1? He says, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. What I want you to do is I want you to learn to love one another just like I have loved you. That's going to be necessary with me no longer here. But Peter's question in verse 36, Lord, where are you going? We want to know. Peter's willing to go wherever the Lord is willing to go. But Peter is going to deny him. So not now, but later. Now that leads us into John chapter 14. Brother Danny read to us just a few moments ago those first three verses. What we're going to look at in John 14 verses 1 through 15 are this. We're going to look first of all at the place. The Lord says, I'm going away. Well, where are you going? We need to look at the place. Number two, the Lord is going to talk about the way to get there. So there's a plan. And that involves some principles that need to be understood by us. Let's begin, first of all, looking again at verses 1 through 3. We're going to draw attention to some of the details here. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Now the very first thing the Lord says, let not your hearts be troubled. I want you to imagine you're here, you're sitting around this feast. It's very somber. It's very sad. You know the Lord has announced his departure and he's going away. He's he's told Peter where I'm going, you can't come. Would that disturb you? Well, I'm sure it would. Here's men who've committed years of their life to following the Lord. One of the things that perhaps would make me concerned is looking at the Lord's face. Because the text is going to tell us Jesus himself is troubled during this period of time. Look at John 12, 27. My soul is troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I came to this hour. What if you knew that within 12 hours you would not only die, but you would die an excruciating and a painful death at the hand of someone who hated you? You can say, well, it wouldn't bother me. I guarantee it would. I have seen people right after the doctor has told them, you're not going to make it. You only have a few weeks to live. And I've seen the the sadness and the concern on people's face. 
They see it on Jesus' face, and it affects them emotionally as well. Chapter 13, verse 21, when Jesus had said these things, he was troubled in the spirit and testified and said, Most assuredly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. He knows he's going to die. He knows those who've been closest to him value money more than they even value his own life. When I go to John 14, verses 27 and 28, he says, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you, not as the world gives do I give you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Jesus is trying to reassure them it's going to be okay. It will be all right. Chapter 16, verse 6, Because I've said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Verse 22, Therefore you now have sorrow, but I will see you again, and your heart will rejoice. That joy no one will take from you. Folks, put yourself in Peter's place. Put yourself in Thomas's place or Philip's place. And think about what was going through their mind. The Lord is trying to reassure them. So what does he tell them to do? He said, you believe in God, believe also in me. You trust God, trust me. In John 12, 44, then Jesus cried out and said, he who believes in me, Believes not in me, but him who sent me. If you trust God, then you've got to trust Jesus as well. Christ said, if it were not so, I would have told you. If this departure from this world and going to that place was not true, I would have told you. Now, why would he tell them that? It's because they're friends. Jesus doesn't look at these apostles as just servants. Do they serve? Absolutely. But he looks at them as so much more. In chapter 15 and verse 15, No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all things I have heard from my Father... I have made known to you. Friends tell friends where they're going, what they're doing. If it were not so, I would have told you. In my Father's house are many mansions. You see, the Father's house is where God lives. In chapter 14 and verse 23, Jesus said, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my Father will love him and we will come to him and we'll make our home with him. The Father's house. He said, we're going to welcome you, the Father and I, into the Father's house. That's a place that they're going to go. In my Father's house are many mansions. The idea of the word mansion came from the Latin Vulgate. The original word means rooms. In my father's house are many rooms. 
And the idea is, is that there's plenty of room for everyone. There's all of you here to whom he's speaking. There's room. There's room for all of them who will believe on me through their word. John chapter 17, verses 20 and 21. Oh, there's plenty of room here for everybody. The Hebrew writer expressed it a little bit different. He says, For he waited for a city whose foundation, whose builder and maker is God. We sometimes sing about that pearly white city whom John describes in the book of Revelation with such vivid detail. Hebrews chapter 11, verses 14 and 16, he talks about going to that place, to that country that God has prepared for them. Well, what will it be like? Someone says, what will heaven be like when Jesus goes to prepare? What kind of place is he preparing? In Revelation 21, verses 4 and 5, And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. God's words about this place. Well, I could go on to verse 9 and following and talk about how God expressed it in terms of a city four square. That is, it's a cube. The height, the width, the length, and the depth are all the same distance. A street of gold and a sea of glass. Such a beautiful place, that beautiful pearly white city. Where is it? Oh, it's not here on earth. Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. He ascended, John chapter 3, verse 13. No one has ascended to heaven, but he who came down from heaven. That is the Son of Man who is in heaven. Oh, it's not here, folks. It's where God is at. When the writer of the book of Hebrews described what Jesus did in John 9, verse 23, he was comparing the tabernacle temple that was on this earth to the one that was in heaven. And he talked about how everything had to be cleansed. And he said in verse 24, For Christ has not entered the holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true, but into heaven itself now to appear in the presence of God for us. Jesus has gone to be where the Father is at. I am going to prepare a place for you. That's heaven. It's described as heaven. Philippians 3 verse 20, For our citizenship is in heaven. Colossians 1 and verse 5, because of the hope that is laid up for you in heaven. 1 Peter 1 and verse 4, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. Where did Jesus go? I am going to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again 
receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. But you see, that led into another thought. Let's pick up with verse 4 and read through verse 6. And where I go, you know, and the way you know. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, as you explore that, Jesus says, I am the way, the definite article, the way, not a way. Oh, you listen to the people in the world, they want you to believe you can go to heaven by being a Buddhist, you can go to heaven by being a Muslim, you can go to heaven by being almost anything you want to be. In fact, I believe the Pope said recently, you can go to heaven being an atheist. Well, not what God said. Where is it? And how do I get there? Jesus says, I'm the way. John 10 and verse 9, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. He said, I'm the door. You've got to go through me. There's no other way in. The door. Isaiah foreshadowing the coming of the church and God's people used a figure that's so beautiful. He said, and a highway shall be there, a road. It shall be called the highway of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it, but it is for others. Now listen carefully. Whoever walks on the road... Although a fool shall not go astray. No lion shall be there, nor shall any ravenous beast go upon it. It shall not be found there, but the redeemed shall walk there. The highway of holiness. It is that same one described by Jesus in Matthew chapter 7 verses 13 and 14. He says, enter by the straight gate for narrow is the way and straight is the gate that leads to life. And few there are who find it. He's talking about a way, but you notice the unclean's not on that road. Well, does that mean that everybody walking on that road is brilliant? He said, oh no, he says, whoever walks on the road, although a fool, shall not go astray. You keep listening to what Jesus said to do, and you will find it as a way going to heaven. In 1 John 5, verses 11 and 12, and this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life, and this life is in His Son. You see, God has said from heaven, I want you to listen to my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Hear him. You listen to him. Acts 4 verse 12. And answering the question, by what authority did you do these things? They said, nor is salvation in any other. For there's no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be 
saved. You want to go to heaven? There is only one way. And that is through Jesus. But Thomas reflected what was going on in the minds of the disciples. They were not getting it. Lord, we don't know where you're going. How shall we know the way? Listen to John 14, verse 7. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. And from now on you know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father and it is sufficient for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long and yet you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, the words that I speak to you? I do not speak of my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does the works. Believe me that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me, or else believe me for the sake of the works themselves. As he looks at Philip and he looks at Thomas, he's trying to tell them, I have shown you the way. I'm telling you that what the Father would have you to do is what I would have you to do. And what I would have you to do is what the Father would have you to do. Matthew 11, he points out everything that's been delivered to him, been given by the Father. John 1 and verse 18. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son who is in the bosom of the Father, He has declared Him. What do you and I know about God that we haven't learned from the message of the Son? What do you and I know about salvation that did not originate with Jesus the Christ? Now, if I take what Jesus has said here and I distill from that, in other words, I've I've taken it and I'm going to just bring it down to its basic parts, here's what I learn. There's got to be some hearing. You can't believe unless you've got hearing first. In Romans 10 and verse 14, how shall they call upon him in whom they have not believed and how shall they believe in him in whom they have not heard and how shall they hear without a preacher someone has to tell you what God wants done you can't guess it yourself it's not left to your own intuition somewhere along the line you have to go to the Bible and let the Bible be the message that directs you Number two, Jesus said, you believe in God, believe also in me. There's got to be some confidence in the fact that he is the Son of God. In John chapter 8 and verse 24, I say to you that you will die in your sins, for if you do not believe that I am he, that's the Christ, the Son of the living God, you'll die in your sins. Galatians 3.26, for you're all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. It involves repentance. Oh, when Jesus came preaching, he didn't say, everybody just keep living however you want to, just believe in me. What he said is, repent 
for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And people like Paul preached in Athens, the times of this ignorance God once overlooked but now commands all men everywhere to repent. Well, you could go to so many other passages, Luke 13, verse 3, verse 5. And then to confess him. That's being willing to stand before others and say, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. In Matthew 10, 32, Therefore everyone who confesses me before men, him will I confess before my Father who is in heaven. Romans 10, 9 says, For if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, but with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. And then what did Jesus teach? What did he say to do? Matthew 28, verse 19, he says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all these things I have commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. When Nicodemus came to Jesus and he wanted to know, he said, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of thee, water and of the Spirit. He cannot enter the kingdom of God. And some people would say, believe, obey, the work is done. No, no. It only really begins at that point that a person starts living a life abiding in Jesus' words, continuing to do what he says to do. You remember John chapter 8, verse 31? He said to those Jews who believed in him, if you abide in my word, then you are my disciples indeed. Do you remember the writing of John in 1 John chapter 1 and verse 7? But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. It's a walking in the light. Now let me bring this down to some principles that you walk away with. Some things that you think about. Number one, Jesus and the Father are one. They are one in nature. Who being the express image of his person. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 2. They are one in purpose. That is, they do everything for the same reason, for the same purpose. They are one in voice. Whatever the Father says, the Son says. Whatever the Son says is what the Father once said. John 10 verse 30, I and my Father are one. John 12, 49, I've not spoken to my own authority, but the Father who sent me gave me a commandment and what I should say and what I should speak. And I know that his command is everlasting life. Therefore, whatever I speak, just as the Father told me, so I speak. 
You believe in God, believe also in me. Do you believe there's a God in heaven? Well, yes, I believe there's a God in heaven. Do you believe that Jesus Christ is his son? Yes, I do. I believe that whatever God the Father has said and whatever Jesus the Son has said is both true and righteous altogether. The second principle that you derive from this is that heaven is a real place that you have to prepare for. You will not arrive at heaven by accident. If you're sitting here this morning and you're thinking, well, you know, I'm just sort of going along with the flow of people and I'm just sort of taking as it comes, you will not get to heaven that way. I want you to listen to Hebrews chapter 2, beginning with verse 1. Therefore we must give the more earnest heed to the things which were spoken. Or we have heard, lest we drift away. For if the word spoken through angels proved steadfast and every transgression and disobedience received a just reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? I'm worried that some of you this morning are neglecting your salvation. You're just drifting along, following the crowd, and salvation is in front of you, and you're not reaching out and grabbing it, you're neglecting it. The third thing comes from verse 15 of this context. Jesus had said back in chapter 13, 34, and 35, By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, and that you have love for one another. But that love is just not for one another. He said, If you love me, keep my commandments. Now that was spoken to those apostles, 11 of them, Number 12 has gone to betray him. That is also spoken to us as well. If you love me, keep my commandments. Many people are troubled in the world and they're looking for answers. Look at your life. What do you see? Do you see heartache? Do you see trouble? Do you see confusion? Do you see difficulty? As you think about the prospect of your own demise, the day of your death, are you ready for that? God continues to draw men through his word. In John 6, 44, No one can come to me except the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up in the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they shall all be taught by God. Therefore, everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. I don't want to beat around the bush. I don't want to be unclear. Don't want to waffle. 
Folks, your salvation is too important to allow a possibility to fix it to pass. You know, at the end of each of the lessons that we have here, we extend the Lord's invitation. It is an encouragement to those who are not Christians. You can do something about it. Come to the front seat. We'll sit down and if you don't know enough, we'll talk about it. If you are ready to make a commitment, why not do it this morning? Why not become a child of God and and leave here? Peace I give you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Jesus is offering a peace that passes understanding. And folks, those of us who are Christians... Some of us are carrying around a very heavy burden of sin that needs to be lifted. And just like the song we sing, burdens are lifted at Calvary. The Lord's willing to take that burden of sin off of you. He's willing to forgive you of all the things that are amiss in your life. But you've got to come to Him. You've got to ask. Would you come while we stand and sing?